Good evening. I want to welcome you as you are joining us uh, through Facebook or through social media uh, as we're going to dive into the last of our studies into our series called What is the Bible? And this evening, the topics or what we're going to be looking at, we're looking at two specific areas when it comes to what is the Bible. We're going to look at the necessity of the Bible, and we're going to be looking at the sufficiency of the Bible. So let's look into those sorts of things. I'm sure we've heard the words necessity and sufficiency before, but a lot of times we get wrapped up into, into hearing those words but not understanding what they mean. So when we hear the word necessity, the thing that comes to my mind or the illustration that immediately popped in my head uh, several, several years ago, uh, I went to the dentist and the dentist informed me that my wisdom teeth were coming in, but that my wisdom teeth were going to cause problems for the rest of my mouth. And so he said he had to cut those wisdom teeth out because they are not necessary for being able to talk, being able to chew. They're not necessary for my gums. They're not necessary for anything. If they came in and there was no problems, that's fine. They'd be allowed to stay. But as a point of fact, when my wisdom teeth started to come in, they were causing issues to the rest of my mouth. So the dentist went in and he cut out my wisdom teeth. And if you've ever had that, happen to you, then you know it's not a fun day. You walk away from the dentist and you're saying things, but you're not really saying anything important. You're not saying anything of any substance. And in fact, if anyone has the wherewithal to video record you while you're talking after you've had your wisdom teeth removed, they will have ammunition against you in the future. So when we talk about what is the Bible and we say that it is necessary, I want us to understand that it is something that is vital and it is essential to what we need and who we are in our faith in Christ. It is not like the wisdom teeth that I had cut out from my mouth. No, the Bible is necessary. And if we just simply boil it down to, uh, to kind of a definition that we can wrap our minds around, we can say that all things necessary to be a Christian, to live as a Christian, and to grow as a Christian are clearly presented in the Bible. So all things necessary to be a Christian, live as a Christian, and grow as a Christian are clearly presented in the Bible. Now what makes the Bible necessary is the fact that without the Bible, we could know none of those things. Without the Bible, we could know none of the necessary things we need to live as Christians, to be a Christian, and to grow as a Christian. When we come to, when we come to all of creation, we can look around and we can see the testimony of creation of all the things that we observe when we walk outside uh, the doors and we see the trees and we see the animals and we see um, the, the lakes and we see the birds and, and you name it. 
when we see people, all of creation testifies to one reality, and it is this, that we have a creator. All of creation testifies to the, re- to the reality that we have a creator. And so we have that, the, the Bible tells us flat out in Romans chapter 1, verses, uh, let, I'll just start reading in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Anybody in the world can walk outside and they can observe that there is a creator. Creation testifies to the reality of a creator. And in fact, there are a lot of people who in today's time, they love to sit there and they say, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in God because I believe in science. As if science or as if the things that we can test through the scientific method contradict the scripture or they contradict the existence of God. But nothing could be further from the truth. If we are to take the scientific method, for example, if we were to take science, we would understand that in science there has never been macro evolution. I won't get too big into that. But we've never seen species evolve into a different species. We have no evidence to support that theory. And yet people claim all the time that the evidence, the science clearly points in the theory of macro evolution and so therefore it's against God. There is nothing that should convince us us of that. Our observation should lead us to a completely different understanding as a point of fact. Another point of Uh, of reference in the scientific method is we have never in all of our observations never once have we seen something materialize out of nothing. That if there is nothing there then there will always be nothing there. If there is nothing in a space Something will not ever be in that nothing. And we kind of can laugh about that and think, well, naturally, obviously, nothing will ever have a something in it. But that is the claim of people who say they support science to contradict the Bible. They say that we've all come from nothing. And that out of nothingness, everything is now here. Those things don't make sense. And when you walk out the door, you naturally know there's a creator. And you can tell some things about the creator from from just creation. We can tell that he has an amazing creative ability. That he has an imagination, if you will, that he has and he loves diversity and he loves to bring diverse 
parts of creation to harmonize together. That we as people need food. That we as people need air. And that the air is completely different than who I am or what I am as a human, but we rely on each other. So in creation itself, we can see that there is a testimony about a creator. But we're talking about the necessity of the Bible. It's not enough that God is known about he wants to be known in person. And in fact, without the Bible, even if we look at all creation, sun, moon, and stars, grass and trees, animals, birds, even if we know all of those things and observe all of those things, we can't know God personally. Creation won't take us to that place. Without God telling us something about Him and something about ourselves, we cannot have our sins forgiven. Without God coming and revealing something about Himself, we cannot know what God wants us to do. And so we come to the idea and the mindset and the truth and the understanding that you have you have a revelation a general revelation things have been revealed that there is a god all of creation generally points to god but the bible is special revelation and it points specifically to this God, the Creator God. And we can know Him personally because of the Bible. We can have our sins forgiven because we can understand the fact that we have sins and we need forgiveness and it came through the person of Jesus Christ. We can know what God wants us to do. Without the Bible, we would never, ever know any of those things. In Romans chapter 10, we see uh, the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. It says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how... Are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We cannot know God personally. We cannot be forgiven of sins. We cannot know what God wants us to do unless we have faith that comes from hearing 
and the hearing what we must be told, what our ears must hear and our hearts perceive, what our lives must know is the Word of Christ. It's the Bible. It's the truth that is laid out in these pages. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And just in case we're unsure about what is this, these, this sacred writing that, that is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, what is this thing that we have learned that we can firmly believe in? Paul writes in the very next verse, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so here we see the Apostle Paul lays out in Romans that how are we going to know God How can we know about his salvation if not from the scripture? And here we see it again that there is only one place that is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the scripture that has been breathed out by God. And not only is the Christian life, not only is a person completely dependent on the necessary Word of God to know God personally. But the Christian life itself thrives through the Bible. If we don't have the Bible, then not only can we not know God personally, not only can we not have a relationship with Him in truth, but we cannot live lives for Him, seeking after Him. Jesus Himself, when He is tempted by Satan, He goes up into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights, and He's very hungry because He hasn't eaten anything or had anything to drink. And the tempter came and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus' reply is this in Matthew 4, 4. But he answered, it is written. He's going to quote scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what he is saying here in a very real sense, in a very real way, is that just as we have to have food and drink every day so that we can continue on in strength, 
so that we can continue on in our growth, in our lives, in our personal uh, interactions. Everywhere we go, we're reliant on food and drink. We're reliant on breath and air, all kinds of things. And just as important as food and water, just as important as those things that we we are starving if we haven't had anything to eat by the end of the day, Christ puts the Word of God, the Word that comes from the mouth of God, right next to it and says, just equally as important as bread and water is the Word of God for your spiritual life, for your soul. If you go a day without eating anything, by the end of that day, you're going to be hungry. If, you, if I were to let my little boy go a few hours without eating, he's going to look at me or Crystal and he's going to say, Daddy, I'm starving. I'm starving, Daddy. And of course, he's not starving. He's just hungry. But how often do we neglect the necessary Word of God, the very thing, the only thing that reveals to us God in a personal way, that reveals to us our need for Him, for the forgiveness of sins, and to know what God wants us to do. If by the end of the day we haven't spent time in the very Word of God and the very bread that He gives us for our spiritual life, then we should say, I'm starving. So what is the Bible? The Bible is necessary. It is a necessity. If you do not have the Bible, if you do not have this Word of God, then you'll never know God. You might know about Him, but you can never know Him apart from what is revealed about Him from the Scripture. Not only is the Bible necessary, not only are we going to talk about the necessity of the Scripture, but we're also going to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. So sufficiency is a big word. And sufficiency is a term that, that we've probably heard in, in our, uh, maybe not every day, but we've probably heard it several times, that something can be sufficient. So what does that mean if we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture? That the Bible is sufficient. Well, let me remind you, many of you are aware of the story of Martin Luther, and many of you are aware of all that went on in his life and how he was such a, um, was such a, a hero who stood up for the cause of Christ and to proclaim um, the truths that are contained in Scripture. But let me just take a moment to remind you of what was going on in the church at the time that Martin Luther was coming up and growing in his understanding and his knowledge. Martin Luther was a German 
law student who got scared on the road one day. He got caught up while riding on a horse in a storm and a, a lightning bolt from the heavens crashed down at this tree beside him and the impact was so great it threw him from his horse and he on the ground, I'm sure soaking wet from the rain and from the storm he was in, said, don't kill me, God. If you let me live, I'll become a monk. And so he, of course, lives through the storm. He quits his studies as a law student, and he goes to join a monastery, and he goes to be a monk. And during that time as a monk... He devoted himself to everything he could do to be the best monk he could be. He beat himself, trying to beat the sin out of him. He would spend hours on his knees in prayer. He would constantly be confessing his sins and the wrong things he had done. In fact, in one of his many, many writings, he said, if anybody could have earned their salvation through becoming a monk and through being in the monastic lifestyle, it would have been him. Now, Luther was a brilliant, brilliant person. And he was so brilliant that his... His, not just his peers, but his superiors in the monastery told him that he needed to be studying the scripture so that he could teach the scripture at the university. And so Luther threw himself into this very necessary word of God. Now understand, before he dove into the word of God, this necessary word of God, he had only believed what everyone else had told him about God. And as he dives into the scripture itself, as he looks into it, he finds the words of it to be powerful and to be life-changing. And Luther found salvation while studying the scripture. He turned his faith, his hope to Jesus Christ. He trusted in the Lord and Jesus saved him. Now one of the many, many, many problems in the church at that time was the idea of the Pope being the vicar of Christ. The vicar of Christ. Vicar is a Latin term which means the mouthpiece of Christ. And as Luther is pouring into the scripture, it took him a little while to get there, but as he's pouring into the scripture, he starts to see that everything he needs to know about God, everything he needs to know about himself, everything he needs to know about salvation and his God's son, Jesus, and everything he needs to know about Christian living is in this book. And he starts to put that against the claim of the Pope. 
The Pope was saying he is the vicar of Christ. And what that means, being the mouthpiece of Christ, the Pope believed, and by the way, the Pope still believes this. The Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church still teaches this. That he can, if he follows and jumps through the right hoops, wears the right things, sits in the right chair, holding the right kinds of things, that he can speak as the mouthpiece of Christ. That when he sits on that seat and when he is wearing the right things and when he makes those proclamations from that seat, that what he claims is just as important, it is just as necessary, it is just as perfect, it is just as important as the words that are in the Bible. And it took Luther a little bit to get there. But Luther had a major problem with that. And so do I. And so does everyone who teaches in this church. Because the reality is the Scripture is sufficient. Now, what we mean by that is the Scripture is enough. And it's not, it's not like saying, like, like um, hey, do you, have, uh, do you have what you need to, to accomplish your task today? And, oh, yeah, I've got enough. It's not that kind of a thing. No, no, it's talking about, oh, yes, I have enough. It is full. All of my needs, all of my wants, they are filled to the full. I have enough. So when we say that the scripture is sufficient, when we talk about the sufficiency of scripture, then you have to understand that what we are claiming is that we need no more words from God. I've often said this, and I believe it wholeheartedly, that if God were to stand here and if God were to speak to us and we could hear Him in words that you can hear like you hear me now and we could perceive and understand Him, I know without a shadow of a doubt what God would say, he would start off by saying, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God was hovering over those waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. And of course we know that's from the Scripture. God has given us the words that he means for us to have while we are here on this planet and on this earth. He has given us not just a few words. He has given us not just, you know, a fair amount of words. No, no, no. He has given us all of the words that we need to know God personally, to have our sins forgiven and to know what God wants us to do. 
these words, this Bible is sufficient. And I'm going to read a story from the Bible. And it's a bit of an odd story, but I want to pull from it one particular moment. And it's under the banner and it's under the, the heading that there are so many people like the popes and there are so many people like Sarah Young and there are so many people like the kid who spent time in heaven and came back and said heaven is for real and his dad wrote all that about his interactions and all these sorts of things. There are all these people who say if you just listen to the words that I tell you, you really will believe. You really will know God. You really will know how you can be forgiven. You really will know what God wants you to do. And they turn to every other source. They look to every other thing other than the word of God itself. And I want to read this story. It's from Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to read verses 19 through 31. And like I said, it's, it's a bit of an odd story. And you might not understand why I'm reading it to you at first. But I promise it's going to become very evident here in just a moment. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment... He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said... And I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And I want you to hear this. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So why do I tell you this story? Why did I read you this passage? It's because there at the end, a very important teaching is given to us from Abraham there in Hades. 
He says, once the rich man asks if he would send Lazarus up from the dead to tell his brothers the truth so that they would turn from their wickedness and so they would turn to God and so they would be forgiven and so they would know what to do. And what is Abraham's word to him? He says they have Moses and they have the prophets. And what he's talking about is this section of Scripture right here. It's the Old Testament. From Genesis, which is written by Moses, to Malachi, which is the last prophet of the Old Testament. From Genesis to Malachi, they have the very words of God. And what is the implication there? They have the law, they have the prophets, and that is sufficient. Now, the Old Testament saints, they only had the first half of the story. We have the rest of the Scripture. We have not just Genesis to Malachi, but we have Genesis to Revelation. We have the New Testament. Matthew to Revelation is in our Bibles. We know the story of Jesus. We know the reality of what He accomplished in His life, of what He accomplished in His death, and what He accomplished in His resurrection and ascension. We know the end of the story. We know how to live because of Christ now. We know what our interaction with the world needs to look like now because of Christ. We can understand, we can comprehend all of those things because of the words that are in this Bible. It is sufficient. And even if someone were to rise from the grave and tell us these truths it would not be more important or more impactful than what we have with us every single day. This Word of God, this Bible is necessary and it is sufficient. We have no need to add to this we have no need to take any of it away. The stories are very rampant about um, when Thomas Jefferson wanted to make his own translation of the Bible. The Bible was a whole lot thinner than our Bible we have today because Thomas Jefferson did not like several parts of the Bible. So he would go and he would completely <clears throat> completely take out portions of the Bible. He would completely take out sections because he didn't like them. We don't have the right to do that because every word is sufficient. It's enough. It fills up everything we need to know about God. And I, I want to read here in Revelation 
This is uh, chapter 22, verses 18 and 19 says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. God takes his word very seriously. It is sufficient. It is enough. There is no reason at all to ever take away words from this book. And there is no reason at all to ever add words to this book. That's what Sarah Young does today. That's what many, many false teachers do today. They seek to add. They seek to take away to this book. They seek to make it better. They seek to, instead of making this Bible, this Word of God, be the centerpiece of their worship, they add fog machines and colored lights and they add uh, incredible bands and, and pastors who get up in skinny jeans and, and uh, will hold their arms out real wide so you can see their cool tattoos. And they try to do anything they can to distract you Because they don't think this is hip enough or cool enough. It's not sufficient in their minds. But understand that this word is necessary. And oh, it is enough. And because of it, we know where we must put our trust and our hope. And it's only in one name. The name of Jesus Christ. So I hope this has helped with our understanding of what is the Bible. Let me pray for us and our time will be concluded. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you and we praise you and I thank you for your word. I thank you that we find it as a necessity for our daily living and walking with you. That, Father, we find all necessary wisdom in this book. That, Father, because of this book, we can know you in a personal, in a real relationship. God, I thank you that not only... Do we have all of the necessary information we could ever want about you while living in this world during this time in this earth? But you have given us a sufficient word. You've given us not just necessary words, but you've given us enough words that we could spend our entire life devoted to this book, devoted to your word, and we would never understand all of it with with our minds, we would never comprehend all of it with our hearts. It is enough. It will fill us up and it will fill us up with the knowledge of who you are and the work of your son. And Father, that there is no other 
uh, sign. There is no other wonder. There is no other words. There is no other distraction that we need. We just need your scripture because it reveals to us the truth of your son. God, I ask and I pray that you would use this time to help us see your word as the treasure that it is. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we ask these things and for his sake. Amen.